Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Reverend Alistair Anquetil about managing grief and loss in the time of COVID, including the impact of incomplete grief and lack of closure. In these times of great uncertainty, love each other and yourselves enough to get your affairs in order in case a what-if moment strikes. Please visit NikkiBush.com to download a copy of my what-if file checklist and spend some time creating peace of mind for you and your family. Now for more about Alistair. He's the minister at St. Columbus Presbyterian Church in Parkview, Johannesburg. I can attest that he has a deep spirituality that belies his ability to connect easily and naturally with people from all walks of life. He loves sport of almost every kind, still plays league water polo, and is an avid fisherman with a deep appreciation for the outdoors. He's married and has a young son and daughter. Alistair's insights and wise counsel are often sought when people are facing moments of crisis and celebration. During the global pandemic, he, his colleagues and staff, like many other institutions of faith, have been overwhelmed with death and loss as a result of the COVID-19 virus. Welcome to the Win at Work and Life podcast, Alistair. Nikki, it's so lovely to be with you. Um, We've had a bit to do with one another over the last couple of years, and it it really is a great pleasure and privilege to, to be in this setting and discussing these things. Thank you, Alistair. And I know today in in the midst of all the violence that is uh, taking our country by storm, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you've put 45 minutes aside for me and for our listeners on this very, very important topic that really is touching everybody at this time. So I'm going to kick off um, by talking about uh, the fact that I, after my husband's murder, um, while it was shocking and tragic, as a family, we and the community were able to gather together at a large funeral Mm. experience and witness rituals of service and receive visitors for weeks and months after Simon's death. Mm. But in the pandemic, so much of this closure that was normal in the pre-pandemic world is no longer possible. We've Mm. got loved ones dying alone in hospital. We can't have normal funeral services, then our virtual or hybrid. Mm. And the celebrations and rituals that would normally accompany the farewell of a loved one are having to change. So let's talk about this, this change, this lack of closure and what it does to human beings. How are you seeing this playing out in, in your community? In significant ways, um, Nikki, you know, you, you think of some of life's most significant moments, uh, birth of a child, a graduation from school or university, um, building or purchasing a house, making a commitment to a life partner. Um, and as you've highlighted, the death of someone particularly close to you. These, these are all moments where either through a cultural practice or um, a religious um, a service or ceremony, we have people around us, a roof wetting, a, a baby shower, um, a graduation ceremony, a funeral, a wedding. 
Um, I, I was struck a couple of years ago by a conversation that I had with an elderly man who had just lost his wife to, to brain cancer. And he said to me, this was, this was in the months that followed, he said, you know, everything that used to have, have significance no longer seems to have that same significance by virtue of the fact that I can't share it with them anymore. And I, and I think that that's part of where a lot of us are at the moment when it comes to, to moving through some of these milestone moments um, and where we derive a sense of purpose, a sense of humanity, a sense of, of being um, from those around us. We're experiencing this vacuous environment and so, so this, is, this is what we're seeing in many different ways in the life of the church, uh, people calling on us, particularly at the, at the point of death, um, and not having that same sense of being housed by this care and compassion of the community that ordinarily would, would surround them. Mm, because people gather naturally mm-hmm. around those moments that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 part of who we are as human beings. I don't think we were meant to travel this life alone. We thrive in community. Absolutely. And now there's this space, this sense of isolation of doing these things alone. I mean, you even mentioned graduations. A friend of mine's daughter graduated last night on the very same day that she had to evacuate her factory yeah. because of the violence. And it was yeah. like live with huge ambiguity and paradoxes that are uh, not subtle anymore. Mm. They're really right in our face. And Mm -hmm. it's quite a difficult thing to hold both of these positives and negatives kind of at the same time. Um, And and to to be at peace with that, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of of enduring, of persevering, of looking for a better day. Um, and then there's also the sense of trying to extract um, some, some of what is gifted uh, to us in, in very difficult times um, and, and, and in different times as well. You know, we, and we may speak a little bit about this later on, but, but you do see, and we've seen this through just ordinary services of our own, the way in which we're able to connect to such a, a broad community um, where geography is um, navigated in such a way that people are no longer limited by uh, where they live. So we've got people who are connecting with us from the States, from the UK and, and all over the world. And, and there's, there's something life-giving about that. Mm, I think the word that comes up for me is um, comforting. Mm. Uh, we're all needing a sense of comfort at the moment and we we find it in unexpected ways Mm. let's go back to uh, delayed grief um, Mm. the lack of closure because you and I have spoken about the fact that um, you know services funeral services today you can have a maximum of 50 people Mm. instead of say 500 i mean in your church you're very used to large funerals large outpouring of love and support Mm -hmm. for for the family or the person who's passed Mm. um what is happening now in terms of of you know following that ritual of going from the 
funeral to the wake to whatever happens after that and then the ashes how has that been interrupted and what are people doing what are you advising people to do yeah sure i mean there's so many layers in in that question so we you know the, the wake which is what some people choose to do in and of itself some some won't have a ceremony prior to that but there, there's so much consolation that is found in shared memories and and in people being bold and comfortable enough to go up to those who are hurting the most and say you know what i remember about um whoever the person may be and so the there's a there's an absence of of this type of personal presence and and community but what we are finding on on the flip side is a lot of people are choosing to have online services and and are being creative with that for example if you were to to have something online via zoom people will remain behind afterwards and chat and converse about um, their own memories related to to the family or the individual that has died in particular, um, and finding great consolation in that. And other people who, and not everybody has uh, the wherewithal to do things like this, but other people who are creative are able to put together most wonderful slideshow presentations in such a way that it visually is, is very stimulating and, and engaging. So we, we're encouraging people to make the best of, of what they have um, at, their, at their immediate disposal. Um, as far as the ashes are concerned, that's an interesting one because there are those who are choosing to delay completely. Those who are saying we want what we understand to be a dignified and an appropriate uh, farewell. And so we're going to wait uh, until such a time um, that we are able to have a full church or half a church or whatever the case may be. What, what we're saying to people is if you, if you would like to do something, uh, consider keeping the ashes um, for a time that may lie ahead where we could have something, for example, in the garden um, or, or a ceremony, in our case, in the church, and have that, uh, have that present with you. But Nikki, and as you and I have chatted, it, 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 it relates um, so personally to the individual. You know, there are those that, that choose to move one way and there are those who, who, who regard that as unthinkable and would move in a completely dif uh, different um, direction. One needs to be sensitive to um, where people are at and what, what has meaning and value to each individual. Mm. One of the questions that you asked me when I came and spoke to your congregation about preparing for death mm. after I had, uh, I think I was about 18 months, you know, post my husband's murder. Mm. This question has stuck with me and I've shared it with so many audiences. You asked me if grief was situational or contextual. Mm -hmm. And it was an incredibly powerful, thought-provoking question. And it relates to what you have just said, that everybody will deal with their grief in their own way. Mm -hmm. We know that there are the five stages of grief and the anger and the denial and the acceptance and all those things. And we'll all go through those, but we will go through those in our own time, mm -hmm. in our own way. And having 
three of us in our family, my, my two sons and myself, having watched our grieving process being so unbelievably different yeah. um, and watching other members of my family coping so differently. And then we, we spoke about, in our conversation, you and I, I mentioned that I know many people who've lost partners and spouses over the years. Mm. And depending on your life stage, and your responsibilities, it will also determine how you walk through the shadow lands, mm -hmm. the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. For me, I was left a widow with two young men who were 17 and 22 at the time um, with a robust career under my belt. So, so that was my reality. Yes, I became a widow overnight and I became a, a, a sole breadwinner overnight. And I had very, it's been very difficult dealing with yeah. young men grieving yeah. because yeah. I don't want to hear what happens in their mm. coaching sessions and counseling sessions because they're adults. Mm. That is so different next to a friend of mine who was left a widow with an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old mm -hmm. who still needed her to run around them. And another friend who was left a widow when his wife died of cancer, leaving him with 10-month-old twins. Mm -hmm. yeah. their, their capacity to get on with their lives and their healing was completely different to my capacity to get on with my life and my healing. And there's no judgment mm -hmm. because the demands on each of us in our various situations were mm -hmm. so unbelievably different mm -hmm. in a way because of my age and stage I had more time to get messy with my grief to really mm -hmm. marinate myself in it mm -hmm. um, and and start the process of unpacking it mm -hmm. whereas my friends who had much younger families had so much more minute detail to deal with their kids mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. They've had a much more delayed, longer grieving process than I've had. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you can never, you can never move away from the tremendous loneliness of grief um, that each individual will feel in their own way. Uh, I look, I look from from a distance, as it were, um, at, at your journey over the last couple of years. And one of the things that sticks out to me, and I see it in um, in different ways in different situations, is that you you seem to have also had a most wonderful support network. Um, you've had an insightful people around you, and that is not to undermine from from the loneliness that is experienced. It's simply to, it's simply to to draw into focus that. Part of our, our grieving uh, process, um, which, which I believe in many ways is a lifelong process, is, is molded by the community that is around us um, and, and, and who we have to, to support us. So again, it comes back to the shared sense of grief, but, but also the shared um, ability to, to support one another. Yes, I think, um, you know, knowing that you have support, knowing that you have layers of support, because I think when, when you go through a loss, and it doesn't matter how the loss occurred, whether it's through a dread disease, whether it's through COVID, whether it was a car accident, whether it was a suicide, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, you need more than one person to support you in this journey. You need layers and layers yep. of people. You need friends, you need family. 
And you also, I think it's useful and helpful to make yourself supportable mm. in your grief that mm-hmm. you are able to ask for and articulate what it is that you need, which is not always easy, but mm-hmm. sometimes you don't even know what it is that you do need. Mm. But even to be able to show up and say, I don't know what it is I need, but I know I need yeah. something. Okay. Uh, we say I could not have got back up again without the support of counselors, coaches, mm. therapists, family, mm. friends. You don't you don't do this alone. Mm. But the interesting thing is that you mentioned the loneliness. There's also an aloneness mm-hmm. when you become widowed, which sure. is different to loneliness. Sure. Um, and that's something that I discovered. And people often want to protect you from this aloneness. And yet, it's part of the journey of discovering or rediscovering who you are in this new space and stage of life. Mm. And you do need time alone in amongst all the company and 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 mm. uh, you know people walking with you. So I'd also like to give a message to to the support team, uh, you know that is that is rallying around the person who has has lost or the family that has lost. That somewhere in the company and the community, there also needs to be space for people to almost acknowledge their aloneness. It's part of this journey. Um, and as scary as it is, it's also an important thing to actually be hit that reality button <laughs> that I am alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, speaking about that support team, it is, it's such a dynamic process. And it, it, it depends, again, on, on the individuals and the relationships that they have. But, but you no doubt would have experienced this. And perhaps that's a bit presumptuous for me to say, but, but you can confirm whether it's the case or not. So, so often people who are well-meaning say things um, that end up by being particularly hurtful in a particular situation or, or as may be received by the person who is grieving somewhat misguided. Um, and there's this dynamic uh, push and pull as you, you seek to, um, in sincerity, be there for someone and also to, to assess what is, what is at the end of the day most helpful to them. And that, that's, a, that's a give and take a relationship. But, but one thing that cannot easily be replaced is presence. Um, you know, we, we, we often find ourselves saying, well, you know, what do I say to them? Um, how do I help them through this? And and I, I would I would add to and echo some of what you've said to to say to people who find themselves in situations where they're seeking to support someone who's recently lost someone that they love, um, do do whatever you can to to be with them um, where where we are at the moment, um, be it on a video call, be it via Zoom, just just be as present as what you're able. Um, for that person even having been through what I've been through I still find it difficult Mm -hmm. when somebody has lost someone we are lost for words yeah you know we really are and it doesn't matter I mean you must you experience this daily multiple Mm -hmm. times a day you know where members of your congregation have lost people and Mm -hmm. even then I I think it's so hard to say those words I'm just so sorry for your loss Mm -hmm. actually there's nothing much more we can say you know people obsess about what am I going to say what am I going to say 
there's actually not much more you can say except I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. there's some comfort in that, that even people like you who are so well-versed in grief, mm-hmm. um, there's not much more to say. I think what is so unsettling at this time is the power of holding somebody in your arms. Mm-hmm. Of not actually saying much and just holding them. Mm. And that exchange of emotional, physical energy that takes place in a hug that can replace mm-hmm. the words. We don't have to mm. fill the space with words, but a hug says so much, or just holding someone's hands and looking them in the eyes. And that is what we can't do right now mm. in abundance. You know, that is not easy to do. Yeah. And I'm going to revert to you, but I want to say one more one more thing about this, that we seem to want to fill space with words so often. And mm-hmm. maybe something that I would encourage people to do at this time is, even if you were on a Zoom call with somebody who's lost, is to just say, I'm, I'm here. I have no words, but I'm just going to sit here and hold the space with you, for mm-hmm. you. If you want to talk, talk. If you want to cry, cry. I'm just going to sit here. And it's it, it sounds a bit odd and it sounds maybe a bit uncomfortable, but it is quite a gift to give somebody the gift of your presence. Absolutely. Even if you can't be with them physically. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, as you said, this is what so many of us are battling with um, at the moment. I mean, you, you've got people who literally are... are if they're able um, to be in contact with someone on the phone, um, that, that is an even better situation than so many who are who are watching from a distance their loved ones die in hospital um, and who are not able to visit them, who are not able to, to be with them, even by way of video call, uh, who are not able to hug them. Um, and, you, you, you know, very few of us, I think, experience death without a sense of guilt. Um, and that guilt comes in so many different ways. Um, guilt for perhaps not being the best father, brother, uh, husband um, that one could have been. Uh, guilt over something that happened that wasn't resolved. Uh, guilt over the fact um, that perhaps you both end up with COVID and, and you survive and, and a partner doesn't. Um, and then there's, there's this added guilt um, of of contemplating the very difficult idea of somebody dying alone, somebody that ordinarily you would share very intimate space with. Um, And and these are some of the real challenges that are in a way peculiar to this time, not exclusively, but perhaps more broadly. Mm. Survivor's guilt is something that we talk about, you know, when there's been um, an armed robbery and especially for men, if they weren't home when it happened and they couldn't take their families. Um, it's it's a, such a different kind of trauma. It's such a different kind of grief. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned it already now that there's survivor's guilt, perhaps that, you know, you didn't get ill, you didn't die. Mm-hmm. I think there's also survivor's guilt, um, you know, for, for those of us who are healthy and, and haven't ex- had COVID in our homes. Mm-hmm. Even we experience um, guilt around that. Yeah. Um, how how are you counselling people around this particular issue? 
And and I mean, we to, to add to that, it's something that we um, and I and I would reflect personally for a moment. Um, uh, so that that we as a family are experiencing as we see our own family in Natal, who, who are probably at present being uh, most hard hit by some of the, the violent uh, protests and riots and, and looting, um, with a sense of life being relatively normal uh, and peaceful here as things stand today, this morning, um, but knowing that your family and very close friends are, are fearing uh, in a real way for, for their well-being. Um, to me, in a counselling situation, if, if, if I can leave that space having alleviated something of a, a guilt in whatever shape, um, size or form um, off somebody's shoulders, then I feel that we've, we've moved in a positive direction because guilt can, can be so unhelpful at points. It can eat away at one's uh, life, one's resolve um, to move on. And, and so often is um, detached from, from reason, from logic, from reality. Um, we, we get into this inner world, this inner circle of um, really uh, a place that we need to be lifted out of. And grief is one, I think, that, that probably leads us quite close to, to the center of that um, toxicity at points. Mm, I love that word you've used, toxicity. I always say that, you know, guilt is, particularly in the parenting context, is a mm. most unhelpful mm. emotion. In fact, it's deeply disempowering to both parties concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the parenting context, I always say when you are feeling guilty for whatever reason about your children, and many parents are feeling guilty around the COVID issue and the fact that their kids' lives have been upended and they're not having a normal childhood anymore, they don't have the freedoms that they should have, etc. cetera. Sure then you are actually putting your children in the driver's seat. And it's a very scary Mm. place Mm. for children to be because Mm -hmm. the boundaries disappear, because you feel bad. And it's an interesting thing when we talk about boundaries. Boundaries can be as simple as a routine. Mm -hmm. And when guilt is so overwhelming, what tends to happen is that the daily routine disappears because we are so racked with guilt Mm. and then those boundaries disappear and then the control the sense of control disappears and then all hell breaks loose so you know the very practical way in which guilt plays out is not healthy for anybody Mm. and it's such a heavy emotion a heavy heavy emotion it 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 kind of ensnares one in um mud and molasses in that stickiness, um, which is not serving anyone. So, yes, I think the message to our listeners, if there is a vein of guilt that you're carrying, that is good enough reason to go and find yourself a counsellor or a therapist and work through that guilt as quickly as you can. Not to say it's, it's something you should ignore. In fact, none of the feelings that come with grief and loss should be ignored. Because if you do ignore them and you just sweep them under the rug, they fester and then they come out in, in ever more destructive ways further down the track. So I'm a great believer in the fact that we need to work our grief. 
we need to walk the journey that grieving is actually a verb. It's a doing word. And maybe to, to help our listeners who are grieving, there is no one way to grieve. If today you are weeping and wailing, which I did last night when I was watching our country burn, Mm-hmm. It just triggered something for me about what yeah. I'd been through with, um, you know, my husband. We had a home invasion, sure. which, you know, I say is so part of the tapestry of the inequality in our country. Um, and it it just triggered something for me. Mm. Um, so acknowledge how you're feeling. It's really important to acknowledge the feelings. Mm-hmm. It's really important to work through them to get to the other side. Yeah. And tomorrow it'll be a different emotion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to show itself in many, many different ways, from sadness to gladness to fear mm-hmm. to celebration to all sorts of things. You're going to go through a continuum of emotions, and that's okay. That is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to visit those dark spaces. I guess the trick is not getting stuck there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, you you mentioned uh, partly in what you you said now, um, delayed grief, or, or uh, let's let's not give it a let's not necessarily give it a label. One in in the lifelong journey with grief can be met in the most unexpected ways. Uh, triggered by the most unexpected events and that that's where I think and I'll push back a little bit on this that's where I think closure or an interpretation of what one means when you say closure can be quite an unhelpful thing because there's a sense in which say which one may say or believe um, that that this is complete that, that I'm journeying towards something that one day will be whole and um, I'll, I'll be able to move on from this place. Uh, if, if that is one's notion of closure, then I would push back quite strongly against that and, and, and ask you to free yourself up to, to a life's journey with, with grief where there will be wonderful days of light and growth and development. And then there'll be other moments where and there's a deep sense of, um, if you like, aloneness or, or loneliness, whatever the case may be. You've raised a very important point here that there's a continuum in grief. Mm-hmm. And it really is a continuum of life. Mm-hmm. Life and death are part of the same continuum. I think we tend to see them as separate things, but actually they are part of the journey. I like to use a visual analogy of an onion that there are so many layers in this onion of life. When we come to a place where we have to say goodbye and let go of somebody, it actually pushes us into a process. It's more than an event. The loss of a person is way bigger than an event. The event is the day they died and perhaps the way in which they died. Just like a marriage, Mm -hmm. the wedding is the event but the marriage is the process and it's a learning process and it's a process of discovery of self and the meaning of life. Um, And I like to see it as layers of an onion. And I don't think we ever get to the core of the onion. I think our life's journey is just to work another layer and learn a little more about ourselves, 
along the way. And I think it's so important that people understand the difference between an event and a process and that you are stepping into the process of grief. And it is like a piece of music. It's going to have high points and low points and fast points and slow points. And I I like to listen to Forrest Gump, the theme song of Forrest Gump. In the movie, there's that feather that's floating down to the ground. And for me, that's a a really interesting analogy, that piece of music, because it does have fast and slow, happy and sad. Mm. It does have all of those things that make up life. So I mean, yeah. if, if you don't mind me interjecting there, just for a, a quick sec, um, and I think I, I would say this with a, a broader audience in mind in terms of those who are, are looking in and supporting people who presently are going through very difficult times or perhaps are, are along a journey of having um, been friends with someone that they're, they're a supporting presence to be aware, and I'd be interested to hear whether this resonates with you, um, be aware that it's there's a very intense time that follows the event, um, but, but it's also in the quiet months and years that follow. Um, there's a sense in which one, one needs to, as the supporter, realize this, this journey and this process. And, and some of those who are of the most valuable assistance um, in, in helping one get back onto your feet are those that, that remember in the months and the years uh, to come that will still contact you and say, ah, um, oh, remember when you and Simon did this? Or I was just thinking about Simon the other day um, or, or whatever the case may be. So, so to, to those who are the supporting community, um, don't be completely absorbed into the intensity of that which follows immediately after the event, but, but, but look forward with a, a slightly longer picture in mind. Mm. Very sage advice because this is a journey and it doesn't end a month after the person mm. has died. It does go on through the first birthdays and the first anniversaries and the first Christmases. And Beyond that, even, you know, I think, um, you know, in my own situation, uh, 21st birthdays that came around, um, driver's licenses, you know, those Mm. celebratory Mm. moments when that person would have been around. And then you think further down the track, there will be triggers when my children get married, when they have their babies. Mm. Um, it, it is a lifelong journey that you've mm. alluded to. We will adapt and dance with this journey for the rest of our lives um, mm. in different ways and in different forms. So our support team needs to be there for the long haul. And I think that um, from my experience, different, there's seasons and reasons you know, for different people to be in your team you need a lot of people initially and then you know you know people people who stay the journey you know you know that those are your your really deep close friends um but some people are there for a very very important reason in the first two or three weeks in that intense time and then they never come back again and i've learned to really value different people at different times and not to judge who came when. And I think that the person who is on the receiving end of all of the support, and you mentioned it earlier, we also have to be sometimes quite forgiving. Mm. 
because what we're going through triggers what other people have been through before. And they sometimes come and offload that on you. This is an opportunity to now, because it's triggered their fears and it's opened the wound. It's, it's ripped the scab off an old wound for them. Mm. Just like, you know, sometimes when you go to a funeral, I remember going to a funeral for the first time in the same church where my husband had, we had his funeral. Sure. My goodness. That was yeah. about a year after he passed. And mm. I sat in that church for half an hour after everybody left. And I wept in a way I never wept at my husband's funeral. Sure. Because I couldn't, because I was in yeah. such shock at that time. <laughs> And now a year on, I could see it from another place, Mm. from another perspective. Mm. And I was Mm. able to privately, because I didn't have 995 people at the funeral, Mm. I I could sit alone in the quiet of the church. Mm. And I could just be. And what came up for me in that moment was so unbelievably intense. That brings something up for me. How open is... Is, is your place of worship open at the moment for people to just come and sit and be alone in church? Mm. Is, it, yeah. is it possible to do that these days or not? Yeah, it's interesting. We, we, we have done that, um, and we've been very deliberate about that. In fact, we've gone one step further, so to speak, and we've said um, these times during the week we're going to open the sanctuary. Uh, please feel free to come in and just be and if you would like a listening ear, a listening presence, um, if you find consolation in prayer, um, Yaku, my colleague, and myself are, are available to be with you in that time. But, but additionally, if you just want to be, um, then you're welcome to, to use the space for the same. We, we've, we've tried something else online by saying to people who are finding that the walls are closing in on them and this this relates to those who are suffering loss but it also relates to the fact that uh, i suppose it relates to those who are suffering the loss of their ordinary freedoms um uh, come onto a zoom call saturday three o'clock click and connect um and let's just be we'll chat about one or two common things but it's just opportunity for you to see and to to connect so those, those are two things that we uh, we we've experimented with. Um, there are a number of people who have found tremendous solace in the former, um, but then there's also you know we we're in a way some of us are shying away from being social creatures at the moment. We're we're staying in our safe spaces and we're not wanting to expose ourselves unnecessarily, so to speak, to to risk. Um, so that's a bit of a lengthy way to talk around your your question, but those are things that we we've mm-hmm. experimented with. And surely, if uh, at the moment the church is closed to services, but surely if somebody phoned and said, um, "Can we just come and be?" Um, that that op- option would certainly be available for them. That gives me so much solace, you know, being able to go into to take yourself away from your normal space and go and sit in a sacred space. Mm. I think um, has huge value at this time. And I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm finding, like you were talking about, uh, you know, creating a safe space on Zoom for people to come and share just wherever they find themselves right now. Uh, I'm running support programs for for companies and businesses uh, for exactly the same reason, you know, creating that safe space for people to come together. Mm. 
mm. and just mm. share what it feels like to be them right now, what they're facing right now. And it's not necessarily even to have somebody to tell you what to do about it, but just the acknowledgement in a in a kind of a gathering to say, this is how it feels yeah. to be me right now. This is what's not working for me. This is what is working for me. This is what Important. I'm carrying. What do they say? Uh, you know, when we share something, the burden is halved. Sure. Uh, and the, the, the problem we have with COVID right now, there's a little bit of stigma like there was with HIV AIDS at mm -hmm. one point. Mm. And it's tricky, especially for people who live alone, I find. And some companies are... are discovering that they have somebody who's withdrawing yeah. that doesn't tell them they're ill. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing this person reports, they've had a COVID positive test. Mm -hmm. And two days later, they're dead. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't told their families. They hadn't actually told their colleagues. They hadn't let on that they were mm -hmm. ill because that's that stigma of mm. what are they going to think of me? Um, and we have to get beyond that because we don't make ourselves supportable mm. while we hold on to that mindset. And it's not helping the people to support you. Um, you know, and I think of these um, leaders and managers who are now facing the situation of having to tell a family that mm. the colleague has passed away and the family didn't even know that they were mm. they were suffering. So that's that isolation fatigue yeah. that um, people have, are, are falling foul of, uh, you know, in terms of getting so isolated that they don't know how to reach out anymore. And I mm. think that that is what we have to guard against as a community, whether it's a community mm. of faith, whether mm. it's a community at work, whether it's a social society, that we actually do pull people together. Uh, I'm seeing that um, sometimes what's happening in groups is that somebody dies in the group and the next meeting of the group gets cancelled. And sure. I've actually had to say in some groups that I've been in, you know, there is strength in community. Yeah. And we need to continue to hold those regular meetings like you are still holding your regular services mm. because that is where people can come and show up and, and be supported no matter what mm. they're going through. Mm. And we can acknowledge the loss of whoever it is that we lost in that situation. Mm. But I am finding that, that somebody has to lead and somebody has to make sure that those, those meetings actually still take place. Those gatherings do take place mm. in support of everybody. Yeah. And you, you, you do your team. I mean, I, I don't want to speak uh, too boldly in this way because this is not my, my area of direct involvement, although there are overlaps, but you do, you do your team a disservice if you don't allow them to, to remember, um, uh, to, to be together and to journey together through something. If, if you leave them in this vacuous space um, without, without really debriefing mm. and without really um, engaging uh, around these things you you do them a, a disservice you know you you will remember with fondness uh, i believe um somebody who's who's widely loved in johannesburg that being um uh, chunky the the former minister at johannesburg um and and his his sudden and shocking death um, sent shockwaves through um, the community 
And I, I remember in our staff meetings, I just arrived at that stage. I was due to, to join him. I remember at our staff meetings years down um, the line, the, the healing value of or, or the consolation that was found in setting time aside and just talking about him, um, talking about the shock of, of those days that followed, but also talking about uh, his person, which was still in a way represented and still is in the life of the church. Um, and I, I mean, our, our, our staff team is, is family-like um, in nature. They're, they're a strong, robust, lovely, gifted team. Um, and, and I think part of that is to deal with those things that are that affect us all. And, and certainly the death of a member of that team is, is significant. Gosh, this has been such an insightful conversation, Alistair. And I just really appreciate the time that you have taken to share your, your wisdom and your insights with us. It's never an easy conversation to talk about death, to talk about loss. And you've just reminded me, uh, you know, I, I remember Chunky Young's funeral. I watched it because it was live streamed because so many thousands and thousands of people wanted to attend. And this is way before COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, we use the technology to, to help so many people to mm -hmm. be part of that service and part of the process um, and part of the celebration of, of an amazing life. Absolutely. And aren't we lucky to have technology today to mm. still be able to do these funerals, even in a hybrid way, mm. uh, and to be able to connect with people. So I think that is something that, that we really must take away from this conversation is use the tools that you have mm. at your disposal mm. to say farewell and to celebrate. Mm. And you know, you took over at a really, really tough time. And I think that will mirror many team leaders at the moment in business and in mm. other organizations who are leading through incredibly tough times. Mm. And that was a, a, a really lovely piece of wisdom that you've just shared here, that we can't leave our people in a vacuum. Mm. That doesn't help people to, to move forward with their grief, to make sense of what has happened. They need to feel the support of those team meetings, those conversations that need to continue over time, not just for the week after somebody died. We will all get in touch with our own fears and our own grief when somebody within our circle um, passes away and it will trigger something for us and we do need safe spaces in which to share. Um, what also struck me that I think is so important to remember um, is the aloneness and the space that's required, the space to comfort each other, and to share memories. It's so important to share memories with loved ones of your journey with that person who is now gone. Mm. That we really do thrive in community mm. uh, and not to get stuck in the isolation. If, mm. if, if you're being sucked into that vortex of isolation, know that that is a warning sign. Mm. If you're not wanting to reach out, that's a warning sign that you do need to be reaching out to people and asking for help. Mm. And that we really do can find meaning if we have the right support and the opportunity to express how we're feeling, that we can find meaning 
in our most broken moments. There is a gift over time Mm. if we're awake and aware that we can find meaning in our most broken moments. Mm. Alistair, thank you. Thank you for giving so generously of your time. Are there some final comments you'd like to make? Uh, Nikki, it's with great pleasure and it really is lovely to, to connect with you. Um, I mean, I I would just say, and it is slightly unrelated, we really do extend heartfelt um, and and loving uh, sympathy and concern for those who across the the board are encountering COVID-related and just with a state of absolute turmoil that parts of our country are in, um, the type of of, uh, loneliness, helplessness, um, lack of control um, and and in the face of in certain cases some horrific stuff we uh, our, our caring concern continues um, for our country and for for those who listen who um, find themselves in a related position. Alistair how can people get hold of St Columbus Church? Um, Nikki, we're we're on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have a very uh, well maintained website. Um, you can contact us uh, with the details that are there, the phone lines, email, um, and we we're not in the office at the moment, but all of us are working remotely, so we certainly are very contactable at the moment. What is your website address? It's stcolumbuschurch.co.za. And it's uh, Columbus with an A at the end. Alistair, thank you very, very much. What I'm left with thinking is that we are all witness to each other's lives and we need to take that role seriously. We partner with each other and we are constantly in a dance with life and with each other. We are all dancing with disruption in uncertain times. The world is not coming to an end, but it is changing. For some deeper insights into this conversation and where I'll also share a thin slice of my journey with grief, do get hold of a copy of my new book, Future Proof Yourself, published by Penguin Random House and now available in bookstores. You can also order your copy at nickybush.com. Thanks again to my very special guest, Reverend Alistair Anquetil, and to our listeners, please send your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.